This is episode 252 with registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, and Boston Marathon qualifier, Holly Samuel. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and this episode is all about fueling for the marathon. We'll explore carb loading in the days before the race, your pre-race breakfast, in-race fueling, and post-race recovery fueling. And who better to discuss these issues than Holly Samuel, a registered dietitian and Boston qualifying marathoner. If you're new to the Strength Running Podcast, this show features training conversations, coaching calls, and experts in the running space to elevate your thinking about the sport. I want to help you make wiser decisions about your training so that you can keep improving. Because if you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. But Strength Running is not just a podcast. Don't miss our growing YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos on injury prevention for runners, short strength workouts specific to running, mantras, and more. Go to youtube.com slash strengthrunning, subscribe, and you'll see every video that we publish. And of course, strengthrunning.com is where it all began. Since 2010, we've been helping runners around the world improve with our award-winning blog, our free email courses on strength training, nutrition, injury prevention, and improving your mindset. Plus, all of Strength Running's training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. You can learn more about those at strengthrunning.com coaching. This episode is brought to you by Inside Tracker, one of my favorite companies that's investing heavily in the running community. They test your blood for dozens of biomarkers, so you know if there are any red flags with your physiology that might be holding back your running. Then they give you science-backed recommendations to improve anything that might be outside of your personal optimal range. You can get 25% off any of their blood tests with code STRENGTHRUNNING at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning. The code is STRENGTHRUNNING with no space, and all those details can be seen at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning. We're also supported by Revel Race Series. Revel Races are an incredibly fast, downhill, scenic series of marathons and half marathons that take place in the most beautiful U.S. locations. Their next race takes runners from the canyons of the Wasatch Mountains to the foothills of Salt Lake City, Utah on September 10th. This is the 10-year anniversary of Revel Big Cottonwood, and you can celebrate with code STRENGTH for $10 off. Register at runrevel.com. That's runrevel.com. And that code STRENGTH will get you $10 off your registration. I'd also like to quickly thank FP for his amazing review on Apple Music. He wrote, I listen to so many running podcasts, but the Strength Running Podcasts has been my favorite for a long time. Always relevant topics, well-researched, great interviews, insightful questions. Jason knows how to get the best intel out of his show guests. If you have a deep love for running or you are trying to learn to love it, I highly recommend this podcast. FP, thank you so much. That truly made my day. All right, my guest today is Holly Samuel. She has a master's in health education. She's a registered dietitian, a certified personal trainer, and a Boston qualifying marathoner. 
She's also a dietitian that owns a cookie company, so she's clearly good people. Holly provides a wealth of information and resources on her Instagram page and website, both of which can be found at Fit Cookie Nutrition. In this episode, we're exploring the nuance of fueling properly for racing the marathon. There are four key areas we're going to focus on if you want to fuel effectively for 26.2 miles, the days leading up to the race, the morning of the race, during the race, and right after you cross the finish line. Considering that the human body only stores about enough carbohydrate for about two hours of exercise, getting properly fueled for the marathon is essential if you want to improve your performance. For more on refining your nutrition, go to strengthrunning.com slash nutritionQA, and you can download a two-part series of Q&A with a registered dietitian. That's strengthrunning.com slash nutrition hyphen QA. Now, without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Holly Samuel. Hey, Holly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. I've been a listener for years, so it's great to be here. And here you are. Isn't this awesome? Well, I invited you on so that we could go deep down the rabbit hole of marathon fueling. And I would love your perspective because of your background as a runner and a dietitian. And I think this is going to be really helpful if we explore marathon fueling from every conceivable angle. We talk about pre-marathon fueling, in-race fueling, and then what to do after the race. So this might be one of our geekier conversations, but I'm so excited to have it. Well, I'm glad you thought of me for the geeky conversation because I do those best. So (laughs) I'm excited too. (laughs) All right. Maybe we can start with a hypothetical runner who's got a marathon coming up and they're wondering if they should start carb loading. Now, I know carb loading has either been said to to be unnecessary or, you know, the old school method, it has you go through this depletion phase. So let's start with talking about carb loading before a marathon. What are we looking to do when we're carb loading? Oh, yes. Carb loading. It's like the most controversial topic. If I start talking about it on any platform, like you get people with strong opinions um, on carb loading. But I think um, the main idea behind carb loading, that's very much backed by like science and a lot of research kind of comparing all these different methods like that you talked about, for example, like the the depleting um, old school carb loading versus just increasing your carb intake. Um, versus even not doing it at all. There's a lot of comparisons out there. But the main idea is to eat more carbohydrates in order to top off our glycogen stores. Um, And glycogen is basically stored carbohydrate. Um, We can store around 2000 calories on average, depending on the size and um, just makeup of the human, um, which is why once we are running for like over two hours or so, um, it becomes really important to have topped off glycogen stores because we burn through those pretty quickly in the longer endurance stuff since you're out there for such a long time. So the main idea behind carb loading is to top those off because we're going to be running, you know, two hours if you're Elliot Kipchoge, um, you know, three hours, four hours plus on race day. Um, so the idea is to kind of top off the fuel stores prior to starting the marathon. Let me ask a, a little bit of a selfish question. You mentioned sometimes how much carbohydrate that you can store varies depending upon maybe your size. 
I have a pretty stereotypical runner's body. I'm five foot seven. I'm about 130 pounds. Would I theoretically not be able to store as much carbohydrate as someone who might be 5'10 and 150 pounds? Or is it is it just not that simple? Um, yes and no. Um, and it depends. All those good answers. So yeah, I would say a lot of it does have to do with like our our size. And I think, yeah, if you're a bigger person, you may have the capacity to have just more storage. But a really big piece of our storage capacity, like potential, um, is actually to like how well we've practiced this in training. Um, so like, I don't tell all of my clients to carb load like every single weekend for their long runs and training. But you know, if we are practicing, you know, maybe having like a higher carbohydrate meal before, you know, the night before a long run, um, if we are practicing, you know, increasing our carb intake, when we do increase our overall mileage or intensity, um, we're essentially training our stores to be deeper. Um, so if you think of glycogen storage, I like to use the metaphor, if it's like a cup, you know, if you're training um, your body to use carbohydrates, and you are kind of practicing this during your whole training session, um, or not training session, but training season, um, you're essentially teaching your body to have like a bigger cup um, when it comes to capacity. So if you're listening to this, you know, the weekend before a race, and you have never thought about this before, and you go to carbo load, it might not necessarily be pushing you to your potential because your body isn't used to that. <laughs> um, so I would say, if you are someone, you know, like you said, if you're a smaller, maybe build, um, you know, or you're a much larger build, depending on the person, it has to do a little bit with that, that like nature, but also nurture, like how well we've adapted ourselves to be this way. Oh, that's really interesting. And, and probably a, a very good reminder to practice our fueling approach in training, not necessarily for every long run. And, and we'll certainly get to practice. I want to back up a little bit and talk about I think one of the biggest barriers to carb loading, which is calculating exactly how many carbs you have to eat and then figuring out how many, how many grams of carbohydrate you're actually eating if you sit down and you have some chips or a burrito or you know any other normal meal that we might eat in the days leading up to a marathon. So do you think it's necessary to really be precise with the number of grams of carbohydrate that we're eating? And if so, how do you calculate that? How does the average person know how much carbohydrate they're eating if they sit down for a burrito or something similar. I love the week, like the week before big races, I'll have a lot of appointments with clients and we'll do this together. And I have like 50 tabs open on like nutrition facts on various like products and foods they might eat or foods they might take with them. Um, and then I have to like close out of all of them at the end of the day, or I'll keep them open because then maybe the next person is also going to use graham crackers. And I'm like, Oh, I already have that open. It's 30 grams for two or whatever it is. But, um, so like on my end, I understand it, it may be intuitive and scientific and fun for me to do. But for the average person, they're like, this is not intuitive or obvious <laughs> in any way. Um, so I think my main takeaways are to actually truly like carb load properly, um, which really we want to take about eight to 12 grams of carbohydrate per kilogram of body weight per day for two to three days before a marathon. Um, and for some clients, we'll do the lower end for a couple more days. And for some clients, we'll do the higher end for fewer days, depending on what they're comfortable with. Um, but if you calculate that out, like just to use yourself, for example, um, let me do math real quick on the side, you know, at the lower end of that, that's 475 grams of carbohydrate. 
And on the higher end of that, you know, that's 700 grams of carbohydrate per day. Um, I always get that. Do you mean like total over the course of three days or do you mean per day? And the answer is per day. <laughs> um, to actually do that, you know, I think we do have to be a bit intentional about it because for a lot of people, um, that's a lot of carbohydrates and they're not going to get there intuitively, like on their own. So I think taking the time, sitting down, I actually have a free guide um, on my website that helps you do this. But, you know, just coming up with some examples so that you're not like going hungry or accidentally skipping meals and snacks the days leading up to your race, which tend to be maybe more stressful. You're traveling, you're not exercising as much because you're tapering. So you're not as hungry sometimes or you're nervous. So I do think we have to be intentional in order to make that happen for most people. I think in terms of like, I calculated 709 grams of carbohydrate. Do I need to get exactly 709 grams of carbohydrate in order to be successful? I mean, unless you're trying to break a world record, probably not. Um, you know, I think if you are just getting closer to that goal, um, that's a really good start. Are there any online tools, maybe uh, a website or some sort of tracker where someone could just input whatever food they're eating and it'll give you an estimate based on how much you're eating of how many grams of carbohydrate is in that food? Yeah, that's a good point. I think like some of the trackers, like my fitness pal is one, um, you know, which I tread on lightly. Some people, for some people tracking religiously isn't helpful, but I think for this particular situation, it can be educational. Um, that can be a helpful database. Nutritionix, it's like IX at the end, um, is another one that can be helpful. Just so you're like, you can enter in, you know, half a cup of rice and get a feedback. You had mentioned like a typical meal before, like a burrito where you're like, I don't really know what's in this. Um, you know, that's harder to measure. And I think doing your best to deconstruct the burrito when you're entering it into an app like that might be helpful. Um, I'll use visuals too with my clients, like about a cup of a fruit or a vegetable or rice is about the size of like a baseball. Um, so if you're thinking how much rice is in this burrito, yeah, I don't know, it's maybe like two fists, maybe it's like two cups. Um, you know, you can kind of start to deconstruct it like that. And that's where we're estimating and it's a good guesstimate. Um, and again, if you can get pretty close, that's helpful. Um, so I know for like meals like that, it does get a little bit harder to like calculate. This sounds like a helpful exercise to do periodically once in a while, just so that you start building that muscle of sort of understanding what is in the food that you're eating. Would you recommend maybe taking a day once a month or something and just figuring out how many grams of carbohydrate I might be eating in a day so that, you know, during the course of the training cycle, you might be doing this four or five times. And then the week of the race, you just have a little bit more experience, you have a little bit more knowledge, and you're going to be more accurate with making those estimates. Yeah, I think it is. Um, I have like in all of my programs, that's one of the things that I'll have people do. And I think you have to be in an okay enough space with food. If you know, if you have an active eating disorder, I don't know that I'd recommend doing this. But, um, you know, if you're like, I don't really know how many carbohydrates I eat, like maybe I need to eat more. Let's find out. I do think it's helpful. Just go through a regular day and see what you're starting with. Um, and then whether you've, you know, hopefully worked with a professional or, you know, seen, um, like these carb loading guidelines, you can kind of compare like where you need to be and how close it is. And then you can start to fill in the gaps and how I would look at it is, you know, 
Is a lot of this like spread out evenly over the course of the day? Or are we like missing carbohydrates entirely in a meal, um, you know, and start to troubleshoot from there on where to add things in and like what to add. But I agree, I think it can be a really good learning exercise if you just have no idea and you're looking for a place to go. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about what kinds of food you're eating because you know there's certain uh, different types of carbohydrate. You know, fructose is is a little bit different than other forms of carbohydrates. Should runners be looking to optimize for one type of carb, or is a broad kind of variety of different carbohydrates the preferred way to carb load? How would you think about that? It's a good question. I think. From a carb loading perspective, what we know from research is that um, like higher glycemic simple carbohydrates tend to work best. Um, they tend to fill our cup up, our glycogen stores up, um, you know, better or more efficiently, if you will, than more complex carbohydrates or low glycemic. Um, this is like, you know, nutrition opposite day for what <laughs> you'll probably hear in a lot of mainstream media. So yes, I'm talking about like, low fiber, potentially more processed or more refined, you know, sources of carbohydrates are going to be better for carb loading compared to like our whole grains or our beans, um, or some of those higher fiber options to minimize potential GI distress too. Um, but then also from a capacity of stocking up our glycogen stores. So from that perspective, I can give kind of that recommendation. And that's where carb loading can get controversial because people are like, what? You know, you want me to drink sugar sweetened beverages? Um, yes, like welcome to sports nutrition. It's kind of a funny place. But, um, you know, from like a fructose versus glucose perspective, um, where our carbohydrates break down into these different types of simple sugars, Um I wouldn't say you need to necessarily think about that too much from carb loading. Um, there are some people who don't tolerate high amounts of fructose as well as others. They may have like more diarrhea or just more bloating. So if you know that there's certain types of carbohydrates that like agree with you better um, individually, I would go for those. And that's something that, you know, I encourage you to practice in training so that by the time you get to race week, you're basically on autopilot. You have a plan. You don't have to think about it too hard. Yeah, that was a big issue I was going to ask you about because uh, I, I struggled with this a little bit when I ran the Boston Marathon because I was really adamant about proper fueling and I overdid it a little bit when it came to just cramming as many carbohydrates as I could down my throat and I think it led to some GI distress during the race. And I'm just curious, you know, is it only a certain type of carbohydrate that might be causing some of that GI distress or could it potentially just be too many carbohydrates? I mean, is it possible to overdo it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely possible to overdo it. Um, and what I what I tell a lot of my runners too, who are like hesitant about this, or if it's just like new, um, a lot of the times carb loading, like from a what it's doing to your blood sugar and your energy levels perspective, it doesn't like feel great <laughs> when you're doing it. Um, you know, you are we're not really trying to eat more food or more calories overall. If you think of a pie chart of the different macronutrients that provide us with calories, protein, fat, and carbohydrates, what we're really trying to do for two to three days before the race is to have more of that pie chart coming from carbohydrates um, and less of it coming from protein and fat, which tend to digest slower um, and just don't help us from a glycogen storage capacity. So, you know, what that looks like is that carbs 
digest really quickly. They don't keep us full. They do spike our blood sugar, um, at least to some degree. And some people it's, you know, they're more sensitive than others. Um, so it might feel like you're on a bit of a roller coaster the week before the race when you're trying to do this, but it's not necessarily for you to feel good on that day. It's for you to feel good at mile 23 <laughs> of your marathon. Um, so that's kind of like the light at the end of the tunnel that I tell people to kind of think about um, when they're carb loading is you might have to eat more frequently when you're carb loading to avoid some of those blood sugar crashes. If you're someone who is more sensitive to um, like your insulin response and how your body handles carbohydrates, we might want to be more cognizant of incorporating protein and fat at your meals, maybe doing a longer carb load. Um, so you're doing this more gradually. That's what I like to do personally, because uh, I also get excited on like Monday or Tuesday of race week and I just want to get started. Um, so that's what I do personally, but, um, you know, if you are someone who has like GI distress as a result too, that might be something where, yeah, we need to tweak what type of carbs you're carb loading with, um, maybe do it more gradually or just practice more with those foods over the course of training. So your body gets more used to it. Yeah. It sounds like this is very much similar to training in that you need to find what works for you and you need to experiment a little bit and you need to have a little bit of trial and error which means you're going to have some error and that's okay. So it seems like part of this process is being a little bit uncomfortable, having a couple runs where, you know, maybe you do have a little bit of GI distress as you're discovering what works for you and what your limits might be. So it sounds like two to three days beforehand, before the race, maybe a little bit longer if you prefer a, a more gradual, you know, uh, less intense type of carb loading you would start taking in 8 to 12 grams of carbohydrate per kilogram of body weight. And would you have to supplement with, you know, you mentioned sugary drinks, you know, maybe a Gatorade, maybe juice, something like that. It sounds like the number, uh, the amount of carbohydrate that we want is not something that we're going to be get from eating normal meals. We're probably going to have to supplement with other things. Do you recommend like very carby snacks in between your meals? Do you recommend supplementing with a lot of Gatorade or something similar? Yeah, I think um, like an exercise I'll do with my clients is I'll have them go through like what they would do to carb load. I'll say what's like the carbiest carby meal, you know, for breakfast that you can think of that you're used to eating. What about lunch? What about dinner? Um, and we'll get to the end of the day and I'll typically say, okay, you have 200 carbohydrate grams of carbohydrates left that you have to like get in somewhere. And they're like, oh, um, you know, they already think they listed a lot of food. So that's where like liquids can be really useful because it's just, you don't have to think about it too hard and it's not a huge volume. Um, and it's easy to travel too. So yeah, it could be a sports drink like Gatorade, um, you know, scratch, um, more in has a powder mix as well, tailwind. So you could use something like that, that again, you've practiced with and you know, you tolerate. Okay. It's also going to help you from increasing your sodium intake, um, to help you get to the start line while hydrated, um, and fluid intake. So those might be really useful things to use or adding like other kind of liquidy things to your, um, you know, to your meals like maple syrup or honey, um, or again, things, you know, that you tolerate well, so that we're not really adding like an extra meal or something that seems overwhelming to eat, especially if your appetite's low, cause you're like nervous or, um, just, you know, not doing as many miles each day, which can stimulate appetite for a lot of people. Um, so those might be 
good things, but snacks are also probably going to help too. Like you should be eating probably every two to four hours, um, especially when you're carb loading, just to keep your blood sugar stable. I love how we're in this weird topsy-turvy world where we're pouring maple syrup on our food, we're downing sugary drinks. Marathon fueling is just such a unique time period for people because a lot of the normal rules we're used to are just thrown out the window and we're just trying to do something very different. Now, I am curious, we talked a little bit about practicing your fueling during the marathon, during your long runs in training. Would you recommend practicing carb loading during training as well, maybe for a shorter time period, just to kind of get your body used to it. How should runners think about that? Good question. I think, um, I think it's a really good idea. Um, especially if it's something that's newer, especially if you're maybe someone who's working to add more carbohydrates into your diet in general. So you're still trying to figure out like which ones agree with you. Um, so what I'll have a lot of people do is like before, um, some of their longer, long runs, um, you know, especially I might have someone do it before like a key training run, but I also want them to feel really confident in what they're doing. So I don't want it to like ruin their, you know, 20 miler with 10 miles at marathon pace in it, if it doesn't go well, but, um, you know, before some of your key, um, at least, you know, other long runs throughout your training cycle, two to three times, maybe the day before practice the sample carb loading day, see what that feels like. Um, you know, see if it agrees well with you and just maybe take some notes on how you feel during, and then how you feel the next day as well, like during your workout. Um, a lot of the times what I hear is, you know, I felt okay when I was carb loading, it felt kind of ridiculous. Like you said, I feel like I'm having all these foods, um, you know, and just really focusing on carbohydrates and, you know, energy is okay. And then I often hear the next day, oh, my run went really well though. And I recovered better. Um, you know, so it might help to take note of some of those emotions because if you're starting to feel that doubt creep in when you're doing it race week, again, it's kind of for, the greater good. It's for mile 23, 24 of your marathon. This reminds me of the taper and how if you've never tapered before, you know, it might throw you for a loop a little bit psychologically because you don't feel like you're working hard. You feel like you're losing fitness, but it's still necessary for you to race at your best when it comes time for race day. And it's very similar with carb loading. You might not feel great doing it. It might you know, make you think like you're gaining water weight or you're not eating very healthy. But at the end of the day, it is a strategy that will help your performance. And, and I just love those similarities. Let's talk a little bit more about the morning of the race. So we've had a successful carb load for the couple days leading up to the marathon. Let's say we wake up at four or five in the morning for an early marathon start. Uh, should we be continuing this sort of aggressive carb load right up until the race? Should we take a slightly different approach for the morning of? How do you think about breakfast? Yeah. And I want to just allude back to, to what you said, um, with carb loading, you are increasing your glycogen stores, which is stored in water. So people can expect to gain a little bit of weight. People can expect to feel maybe fluffy is what I like to call it, or like doughy, um, you know, in those days before the marathon, which can very much impact our psychological functioning sometimes, um, along with all the other things we're doing. So that was a good point. And I always like to mention that because people think they're doing something wrong, but you're not, you're doing, you're doing it right. If that's the case, um, if it triggers you, maybe stay away from the scale. Um, but yeah, from like race morning perspective, um, if we're talking about like a reasonable start time, um, you know, that's probably maybe, you know, 
congruent or somewhat similar to your training run, long run time. I always, again, say like take at least one or two of your training long runs and try to do them, like start them at the time your race is going to start so that you can practice the nutrition part. Cause like a 6am marathon starts very different fueling wise than like an 11am marathon start. Um, so, you know, if it's a pretty normal start, I would say you should have a pretty good, very well oiled machine idea of what you tend to eat before your long runs. And that is what you should eat before your race. Um, you know, it should be carbohydrate dense. If we're going to be running more than two, three hours, it's probably going to look like it's at least 90 grams of carbohydrate for most people, if not more. Um, so again, typically, if you're wanting to pick something to practice with during training, should be simple carbohydrates, easy to digest, um, something you know drives well with you, something you know you'll physically, realistically be able to have you know, at your race on that morning. Um, and also, you know, think about hydration. I'll usually tell most of my clients, again, like take that sports drink that has some sodium, some carbohydrates, and just like sip it, you know, throughout, you know, the morning um, up until you're kind of starting to warm up and get ready to go. But um, yeah, that's typically what I would recommend for pre-race marathon is something you should have done many times already and kind of fine-tuned. Should it be a slightly larger breakfast than usual? Let's say you have like three hours between the start of the race and when you're eating. I understand maybe two hours, that can be a little bit close for something really big, but a lot of runners might get up early enough where they have an actual three hours or more before the start of their race. Would you recommend sort of a big breakfast, maybe going a little bit uh, harder on just the number of calories that you would normally take in before a typical long run? So. I would say there's two ways you could go about that, especially if you have like three hours or more, you could do like a bigger breakfast, um, like three hours before, maybe you're someone who knows, I just really need that time to digest. Um, you know, I, I think even then I would still say maybe take like a carbohydrate containing sports drink and sip it throughout those three hours so that you're not totally like empty. Um, in terms of your blood sugar um, being too low when you're standing on the start line. Um, or you could take kind of a regular maybe breakfast and then have like a smaller snack, like an hour and a half before the race starts. Um, that again is very simple carbohydrates, like maybe a banana or a granola bar, something you're very familiar with. And that's easy to have. Um, if and I And I say that because I know for a lot of runners, like the morning of their race, they want nothing to do with food. Um, so eating like a large quantity of food might be really just not like it might be hard for them to actually accomplish. Yeah, for sure. And, and I'm that same way. And what I, what I used to do was just try to eat. I would usually go for like a bowl of oatmeal, some type of energy bar, and then a banana. And that was my pre-marathon breakfast. and But I would have to stagger it over the course of maybe an hour because I just couldn't eat all that food right when I woke up, especially if you're waking up earlier than usual. You're getting up at 4.30 in the morning. I think I was up at like three for the Boston Marathon because I couldn't sleep because I was so excited, just like every other runner running Boston. But you know, I, I think it's helpful to understand that you can do things slightly differently than other runners and still be successful. So you don't have to have a huge breakfast. You could space it out. You could do things a little bit differently in that way. Are, are we still counting grams of carbohydrate in the morning or has the window for that passed? Um, I mean, I think if you want to get technical with it, we, we could still count. Um, you know, if, if you're looking at carbohydrate for a marathon, you know, 
like I said, probably anywhere between 90 and 200 grams, which is a wide range, um, is what people are going to want, you know, to look at pre-marathon. Um, and again, like spacing it out in the morning, depending on what works for you and the start time would be helpful. Um, for Boston, uh, me too, this year, I, I had a different start time. I started at 11 AM. So, you know, I had like a marathon in the morning before the marathon. Um, and I think I had like a bagel with peanut butter and a banana in the morning with honey. And it was like, the hardest thing ever to eat because it always is, you know, before a race. Um, and then on the bus, I had like my granola bar and some sports drink. And then I think at athletes village, I had like generation, you can drink mix. So, um, you know, kind of spaced it out that way for myself. And I think I probably still could have had like a gel or something a little bit more on the start line, but, um, and I practiced that in training. Cause I was like, I don't know what to do for this. This is totally different. Um, so that probably came out to, probably around 200 grams of carbohydrate, but that was for me over the course of probably five hours. Um, whereas typically before a normal race, I would have just done like the bagel and the banana, um, and probably something closer to 90. So it does kind of depend on the person and again, how well they practice this and their size. So Holly, we have covered pre-race fueling up until this point. Have you noticed there are any common mistakes that runners make when thinking about either the carb loading process or the pre-marathon breakfast, you know, any quick tips that you have on avoiding some of those common mistakes that we haven't covered? Yeah, I think the most common mistake I see is people say, yeah, you know, I carb load, I had like the pasta dinner the night before the race. And like, that's really just you're just like putting a drop in the bucket um, of carb loading. So I think that's one of the mistakes I see is it is a very intentional process that, you know, can be hard to do by accident. Um, so if that's kind of what you think is carbo loading in the past, and you're not sure whether or not it worked well for you, I would consider maybe, you know, putting some more thought and intention to it this time and seeing, you know, like what, what you think, um, and practicing of course, during training, I think one of the other mistakes I see for like pre-race, um, carb load, but also breakfast is just like lack of planning logistics, um, especially if it's not your local race, you know, you have to travel. Um, that's a really big thing I see. It's really hard for people to travel and do well with nutrition in general. And then if we're needing to be super intentional about making sure we're, you know, eating every couple of hours and we have snacks and we know where we're getting our food from. And we know that, you know, the dinner reservations are at the right time and we've made them to begin with. I think just really putting some good thought into like the two days before your race, especially like, where are you going to be? Where is the food going to come from? And making sure that you're not like going hungry or getting dehydrated um, just in your lead up to the race. Because again, if it's a marathon, we've put in like so much time and effort um, to kind of like lose control of the one thing that we can control, which is our nutrition, um, you know, in those couple of days before the race, um, you know, can set yourself back. Yeah. And that, that, Oh, that makes me so upset when I see runners spend four or five months getting ready for a marathon. And then the day before the marathon, they get a little bit excited at the marathon expo and they spend <laughs> three hours walking around on their feet. They don't eat enough because they're not really paying attention and they end up lining up for the race and they haven't carb loaded properly because they didn't plan for it. And they just spent hours and hours walking around on their feet at the expo. And it's funny, you can do everything right for four months and you can almost ruin your marathon with one day 
of just negligent thinking the day before the race. So I think it's really important to be intentional about how you're spending that day and how you're planning all your food because it's it's kind of interesting. The couple days before a marathon, you know, the morning of a marathon, runners almost turn into bodybuilders. You know, we got to eat like a, a cheeseburger every two hours to make sure we're getting our protein in for hypertrophy. And we're almost doing the same thing with carbohydrate to fuel such a long, hard effort. And, and I think those parallels are really interesting. So let's move into how we actually fuel the marathon during the race. Because even if we've carb loaded beforehand for days leading up to the marathon, we've had a very carb rich breakfast. That doesn't mean we're going to all of a sudden not eat anything during the race. So do you have any general guidelines that we can maybe start off with and then we can get a little bit more specific? Totally. And I love what you said about like the intentionality around carb loading. When I was at Boston this year, I saw like three of my dietitian friends and like one of them was like running down Boylston Street with like two bags full of bagels. The other one was like <laughs> eating, eating a rice bowl, like in line at the expo. And I was like, you guys are nutritioning so well. Good job. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love it. So it might seem silly, but like still do it. Um, but yeah, for during, um, that's a huge, huge important thing. I think, again, the one thing to think about first is like, um, you know, we can talk about the parameters around what you need during, but also if you're someone who likes to carry things, make sure the race you're going to allows you to like have a vest or a bottle um, and be able to carry your nutrition. And then also like, what will they be providing on course, especially from a hydration perspective? I think it's just good to get familiar with that um, months down the road versus like the week before the race when you can't practice anything anymore. Um, so maybe look up that information. If it's a local race, you might have to dig for it or email the race director if it's a marathon major, um, it'll probably be right on their website. But for the marathon, you know, once we get to the start line, um, most of us again are running, you know, two and a half, three, four, five, you know, six hours. Um, we're going to be out there for a long time and we do need a lot of fuel. So like I said, our glycogen stores can basically get us through like mile 20, 21, 18, 16, depending on your pace can get us about 2000 calories into that race, which for a lot of people is about two hours. Um, and if we have taken absolutely nothing, you know, during the race, that's when you're going to hit the dreaded wall. Or if you just haven't taken enough, that's when you can hit the dreaded wall. Or if you're fueling like a champ and you're doing great on this race for your nutrition, but you didn't carb load, that's where we can also hit the wall early. So like doing all of these things together can make it very possible to feel pretty darn good at the end of a marathon, um, negative split, get faster. Because when we do hit the wall, what's happening is our body is essentially switching into, you know, it's realized that it's running out of glycogen stores to burn, which is our preferred fuel source, along with carbohydrates that you might be getting from your nutrition and your gels. Um, so it's switching into burning more, um, of your fat for energy. It's burning fat the whole time. We're burning fat right now, just talking on this podcast. Um, cause that's our low and slow gear of fuel, but basically fat, um, takes a long time to produce like usable energy for us. It produces a lot of energy for us. That's why it's going all the time, but it is not very efficient. Um, so when we hit the wall and we're only burning fat for energy. That's why we slow down because we're just not getting, you know, quite the same as what we were getting from the carbohydrates. Now, I know the argument is, well, just become more fat adapted. Don't eat as many carbohydrates. And then your body will get better at that process. 
Um, but typically what we see in research is that we will we can we can improve our fat adaptation process by not eating carbohydrates and therefore relying on our body fat for energy but we're not going to be able to push ourselves to our potential um you know from like a if your goal is to get faster or to perform your absolute best um speed wise even during something longer like the marathon um doing it this way so it does still benefit you to use your carbohydrates um for energy so taking carbohydrates during the marathon is kind of what helps us feel good and it helps keep the energy coming. So we can maintain the same pace at the effort that we want to, because it's the worst when you feel like you're going the same effort, but you see your pace getting slower <laughs> um, at the end of the marathon. And it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, you're, I, I feel attacked. All my marathons were like that. <laughs> but you know, I, I did have one marathon where I didn't slow down too much, you know, a little bit over the last five or six miles or so. And, and I actually felt good enough when I ran my PR at the Philadelphia marathon to try to pick it up a little bit mile 22. And it only lasted a couple minutes. You know, that mile was a little bit faster than the ones before it, but I really didn't have much left. Um, but if you can get to the point where you're not slowing down too much and you still have a little bit of effort left in there to keep pushing makes the marathon a much more enjoyable race to run because I've also had the opposite experience where like the cliche goes, I hit mile 20 and all of a sudden it felt like I was running in quicksand. Uh, it was the New York city marathon in 2008. And I just, it was a feeling that I had never experienced before because I was coming from a cross country and a track and field background. So I never, you know, run anything remotely close to that. And it was very unnerving. It was like my body just was simply not responsive. So at, at the very minimum, I hope everyone listening here is able just to avoid <laughs> the experience I had at the New York City Marathon. Now, we know how important it is to carb load beforehand and also take in fuel during the marathon. There are a million and one different fueling products out there. Is there something that runners should be looking for, or is this really just a whatever works for you is going to work? So gels, blocks, chews, powders that you put into water, uh, how do you figure out what to actually fuel yourself with during the race? So much trial and error. Um, yeah, so I think um, you know the parameters we're looking for, from research, we know 60 to 90 grams of carbohydrate per hour in the marathon. Um, is what we want to aim for. We actually now know too from newer research that even up to 120 grams of carbohydrate per hour is what some of the top of the top are doing. Um, and if you can get your body to tolerate that, um, it may benefit you. So from that perspective, we see more carbs, you know, per hour, probably to a limit of what we're physically capable of doing, um, does keep improving our performance in a pretty like linear fashion. Um, you know, whereas fat adaptation, it kind of tapers off and does does not kind of treat us the same. Um, so in order to get, you know, at least 60 to 90 grams of carbohydrate per hour, you know, we're probably going to be taking, um, you know, gels, chews, sports drink, anything you just said in order to do that. For the marathon, you're probably going to want some sort of solid like a gel or a chew and also probably going to want to get some carbs from a liquid. Um like a sports drink, like I know at Boston, Philly, they have Gatorade Endurance on course, which is a pretty complete, original and great sports drink that contains carbohydrates and sodium. And the other thing on top of carbohydrates that we want to consider for 
during marathon and long run fueling is our hydration. So, um, on the coolest, most ideal, you know, race conditions, some of us might lose like eight ounces of water per hour on the hottest of hardest conditions. If we are just heavier sweaters in general too, we may lose like 30 ounces per hour of water. So, um, we do need to replace this. And I think you need to probably adjust your fluid based off of your unique makeup, your sweat rate, and also just the season of training that you're in and the environment that you're in. Um, and then sodium and electrolyte intake, but sodium in particular, it's the one we lose, lose the most of in sweat is the other component of hydration that we need to think about. And this is actually one where if people aren't getting enough electrolytes, and if they're basically inadequately hydrated because of that, even if they're drinking tons of water, um, that's one of the biggest causes of GI distress on long runs or after that I see um, headaches, um, or something dangerous called hyponatremia, which we want to avoid because it can lead to death, um, (laughs) which basically causes our heart to stop beating because we don't have the right balance of fluid and electrolytes on board. So I think you need to try a lot of different things um, in order to figure out what's going to work for you within these parameters. And I think the biggest challenges I see are, do you like the taste and the texture of it enough, at least where you're going to be willing to take it probably pretty frequently (laughs) over the course of running at race pace? Um, and also how are you going to carry it and where's it going to come from? Um, you know, are you okay with carrying your fluids or do you not want to do that? Then you're going to have to practice with whatever they have on course. If it's a major marathon, um, it might be enough. If it's a pretty more local marathon with less aid stations and help, it might not be enough. So you might have to become okay with carrying some things depending on how long you're going to be out there for. And how often would you say is recommended to take in calorie, both calories and hydration? Because you, I, I'm assuming you don't want to take in 90 grams of carbohydrate, you know, all in one go at the top of every hour that you're that you're running the marathon. So, is there a better strategy for that? Yeah, you're totally right. Um, yeah, not all at once. That probably wouldn't work. Most gels um, have between 20 and 30 grams of carbohydrate in them, um, and that dose tends to be ballpark, what's tolerated by people. Um, there's a little bit like more science and nerdiness around the type of carbohydrate they're using in the gel. So if we're using glucose versus fructose, those are going to go down different pathways to get absorbed. So basically you're not going to block up one highway if you're using two highways, um, to get somewhere. So that's why we are seeing people be able to tolerate more and more carbohydrates because we're getting better technology around how we're making up, you know, the food that they're eating, um, or the gel or the nutrition that they're taking. So um, like what works for a lot of people, you know, is probably aiming for 30 ish grams of carbohydrate from like a gel or a pack of chews, like every 30 minutes or so. Um, It could be a little bit less, it could be a little bit more, but ballpark, you know, that's going to get you to at least 60 grams of carb per hour. And then if we're getting some from a sports drink too, by sipping that intermittently um, and, you know, working our way up to that amount of carbohydrates per hour, um, that can get us even higher than that. So as a runner who values convenience, training for a marathon was always something that was a little bit challenging for me because I didn't like to carry all this food, all this water with me. And if I could go back in time, I would have because it would have dramatically improved my performances. You know, I w- I was training and racing in a time period where we didn't know as much about hydration and sodium and the necessary 
number of carbohydrate, uh, grams of carbohydrate that you should be eating. So I, I see the value in this. How do we plan for this when we're training? Because the logistics of all this can be a little bit overwhelming, especially to quote unquote, lazy runners like myself. Yeah. And you're not alone. Like me too. I think I didn't drink any water. And I think I had like a pack of Sour Patch Kids for my first marathon and I'm a dietitian, so I should know better. So <laughs> um, I totally get it. And I think um, that's a big barrier for a lot of people. And one thing I want to hone in on too is what you have during your long runs um, from like a hydration and carb perspective is going to also help you recover faster if you're having enough. Um, people report that all the time. Like, you know, we think of recovery nutrition, which I know we'll talk about post-workout, but what you have during also can help you recover. So that's some good motivation there. But yeah, I mean, I think you have to figure out what is the path of least resistance for you uh, from a preference standpoint, but also what you're going to do on race day. Because if you're planting water bottles, you know, along like a path to help you during training, um, you better be having, you know, a person like every two miles to hand you bottles, like on race day, if that's your strategy. And I know a lot of us have supportive, you know, partners and family members and friends, but I don't know if we're going to have that set up happening for us. Um, so it could be that you're carrying like a handheld bottle. I saw an awesome person who ran a sub three hour marathon. She would like see the aid station. She'd like unscrew the bottle. She'd put the top like in her bra. And then she'd like take cups from the aid station as she's running sub three hour marathon pace and pour the cups into the bottle and then like screw it back on and keep going. So like you can come up with strategies, um, even running quite quickly, you know, and PRing that um, work for you and work for the environment you're in. Um, I know a lot of people also like hydration vests. Um, those aren't allowed at a lot of major marathons like Chicago, um, and Boston, New York, but, um, I think they might be allowed at Berlin, but, um, those are another thing that you can use, um, that are more hands-free, but it is going to be heavier, like on your back. So I think just practicing with a couple different things, and seeing what works for you. Like I know for me, I'll do loops around my house so that I'm just refilling my bottle. Um, but then on race day, I'm, I like to choose marathons with a lot of aid stations because I don't like carrying a ton of fluid. So on race day, I'll use the aid stations. Um, I might carry a bottle too, because it's always easier to ditch that than to make it appear out of thin air if you feel like you need it. Yeah, my strategy when I was racing and I was using gels, I would have a gel on the starting line right before the race started. And then I would try to take a gel every five miles. So mile 5, 10, 15, 20. And then if I was feeling a little frisky, I would try to find a caffeinated gel around mile 22 or mile 23 for a little extra boost over the last couple miles. And the way that I carried all those gels uh, for someone who, you know, I am most happy when I am just wearing short split leg shorts, no shirt, and I'm bombing around some trails with absolutely Same. nothing in my hands. <laughs> so I just love that freedom. And so I had to figure out how to carry all those gels with me during a marathon. And I put two inside the little key pocket of my shorts. I put one in the opposite side on under the waistband, sort of between my skin. And it would stay there pretty good. And I was kind of monitoring it as I was running. And then I would just hold one in my hand. And that's how I carried four gels with me. And then I would get one on the course. So that was my approach. It's, it's not, you know, the most uh, tech forward <laughs> approach there is, but it worked for me. Now, I'm wondering if there's a point in the race where it's just not a good idea to continue to take in 
either calories or fluid. I don't know, you're mile, mile 24, 25 of a race. Should you just sort of, you know, gut it out to the finish at that point? Uh, or is there still some value in taking in some carbohydrate or water or sports drink at that point? Yeah, I mean, this is one of my arguments too for car- in in defense of carbohydrates. They're so helpful for us that even there's research if you swish some sports drink with carbs in it around in your mouth and spit it out, that's going to like do more for you than not having anything. <laughs> um so if you could swallow it, that's even better, but um you know, I think if you're queasy later in the race for whatever reason, that can be something like put it in your mouth, swallowing it seems like a bad idea, spit it out. Some of it is going to be absorbed right into your bloodstream through your mouth. Um and kind of at least give your brain partially a signal that, hey, there's glucose coming. You're not going to die because our brain runs on glucose. And that's why, too, um, I'll tell people if your negative thoughts start to get really loud, like during a marathon, like the, why'd you sign up for this? This is terrible. Why are you doing this? Those types of thoughts, we all have them. But if they start to get really, really loud, that can be a sign your blood sugar is too low <laughs> and it is time to take your gel, even if it is earlier than you planned. Um, because that is going to give your brain just a little bit of glucose and it's going to be like, oh, we're actually okay. You can keep going. Um, and that can be really helpful. Another thing to be, you know, frank too, to help prevent you from feeling bad at the end of the marathon is really start fueling and hydrating early and often like first gel, like you said, start line could be, you know, where you take your first gel. Um, I typically have my athletes start fueling at the 20 to 30 minute mark, um, of their race, um, with like a gel or choose whatever they're getting their carbohydrates from start sipping water and sports drink at the first aid station. Um, and if you don't want to get, you know, run over at the first aid station because it's crowded, that's where I'll carry a bottle so that I can at least just do my thing and not get, you know, in the tussle of the aid stations when they're still really crowded at the beginning. And then I can toss it and get stuff from aid stations later on when they're less crowded. Um, but early and often can help prevent your stomach from turning later in the race as well. Now, you mentioned this a little bit before, but all the fueling and the hydrating that you're doing during the race isn't just going to help your marathon performance, right? It's also going to do something for you after the race. And I want to start talking about what you are, you know, what might be ideal after you cross the finish line. But your recovery starts even during the race. Is that right? Totally. And like one of the reasons, I mean, if you push yourself really hard, like it is going to take, you know, blood flow away from your gut because you're using, you know, it's in your muscles and your extremities. Um, and that is going to decrease appetite. But one of the biggest changes I've noticed in myself and then also in my clients is if you feel really well and hydrate really well during your race, like your appetite probably is going to be a little bit better off um, after the fact. So if you struggle with that, you know, hydration, sodium, especially, um, and carbohydrates during is something to consider too, so that you can take something right after. Um, and that again, kind of helps set you up for better success <laughs> from a recovery standpoint. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about what we should be thinking about as soon as we cross the finish line. Um, now I'm someone who will try to rush off to the nearest bar as soon as possible and get the, the biggest, nastiest cheeseburger fries and tall boy, high alcohol beer that I can find. What's your dietitian's uh, perspective on my post-marathon meal? I love it. I totally love (laughs) it. I think, um, I was going to say, I remember I crossed the finish line of the Chicago marathon and I, I like got a PR. I was really happy. And I was like, 
making all the ugly noises because that was really hard, you know, and I was thinking, man, I'm, you know, I'm not that hungry or thirsty. And they like crack a beer like in Chicago and like hand it to you open and you have like a mile walk through the finisher shoot. And I was like, ah, I guess I'm drinking this because <laughs> I can't let it go to waste. Um, <laughs> so I've been there. But yeah, I mean, I think if we can, you know, post race, like, you know, you should be celebrating. Absolutely. You should be patting yourself on the back. You should be, you know, analyzing, you know, what you learned from the race. You know, if Meb's at the finish line, you should be high-fiving Meb. He's been at the last like three finish lines in my races. Um, so I'm just used to seeing him there now. But, you know, and then <laughs> you you should, you know, think about your nutrition. It is going to help you recover faster. But I think like the biggest thing I'll be, you know, stickler about is making sure you're really doing the high quality things during your training long runs. Like after your training long runs, yeah, if we're going to the bar every single time and getting, you know, a bunch of alcohol or, you know, higher fat foods and not thinking as much about nutrition, yeah, your recovery might suffer each week because alcohol does hinder our recovery. Um, beer does have carbohydrates, which can help replenish glycogen stores, but you know, it does have alcohol in it, which can dehydrate an already dehydrated person. Um, so, you know, I would think about consuming some sort of liquids right after I'll have a lot of my clients have a sports drink of some sort or some sort of electrolytes, even if it's like a packet that you can dump like in the water bottle that they give you, um, you know, in your gear check bag, if you can, or just take whatever they give you. Um, and then have something that has protein and carbohydrates in it. Um, typical sports nutrition 101 is about a three to one ratio of carbohydrates and grams three to protein and grams one. Um, that could be some chocolate milk. It could be a protein shake with a banana on the side. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be huge. I think liquids can be helpful if you don't have a huge appetite. Um, but if you do have a huge appetite and you do want to belly up to the bar and you do have the capacity to eat those things, I don't know. It's better than nothing. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm someone who is of the mind that if you just raced a marathon, you can go to the bar or whatever restaurant you're going to and, and order whatever you want. You've certainly earned it. Your body totally. is in such a state of being depleted of calories and fluids and almost everything else that you can, your body can handle a pretty fat heavy or protein heavy or, you know, relatively unhealthy meal. And we probably shouldn't be worried about nutrition after we've just done something so challenging. And uh, I think that approach is as much for your psychology as it is for, you know, recovery and just getting yourself fed and all that. It's, you know, let's number one, let's celebrate the hard work and the race that we were just able to accomplish. And then number two, if you can't have a burger and fries and a beer at, you know, after a marathon, when can you? Yeah, I think, um, I think what is so interesting to you and what I see is like, if, if we're also being so intentional about our nutrition during the whole training cycle, and maybe also, you know, in carb loading phase, like a lot of people don't want to think about it anymore. It's like exhausting, uh, just like having so much structure in the training cycle can be exhausting. Like it's really important to have a set time of unstructure, <laughs> um, after it's over. Oh, that's really interesting to think about because, you know, uh, I put on my, my running coach hat and that makes complete sense to me because I, I remember, you know, going through those peak training weeks is challenging psychologically because you have to be so disciplined to follow that structure. You essentially have to be on almost every day. You're either doing a workout or, 
you know, I need to practice my fueling today. I need to get a lot of sleep because my long runs tomorrow. And there's, you know, every day there's a couple considerations for you to have. And that's why having a couple weeks after a marathon of not only rest, but just unstructured, fun running, just do some short, easy stuff, have fun with your running, that could be applied to our diet, right? And, and I think that is a, is a really important point to make because, you know, if we want to stay motivated long term, if we want to stay ambitious about our running, driven to continue to excel and push ourselves, I think that those time periods of unstructured training, unstructured diet, where we, you know, every pro runner talks about how, you know, they don't do any structure when it comes to their diet or their training after a championship season, and they end up getting a little bit out of shape, they end up gaining a few pounds, but that's part of the process. And then they get hungry to train again, and the cycle continues. And if you don't build in that recovery, both for your diet, for your psychology, into your training cycles, then you're probably going to get burned out pretty soon. And I think that's uh, an important thing to think about. Yeah. And like, like you said, too, if you can't have a burger and a beer and fries after a marathon, when are you going to have it? Like, I would say you can have that whenever you want. But we know that there may be pros and cons to it. You know, just like if we have a kale salad the night before a long run, there's going to be pros and cons to that. So like after your race, just to be able to say, there's no reason for me one to have topped off glycogen stores at all time for the next few weeks, because I'm not running any long runs. So I don't have to think too hard about that Two, You know, I don't have to worry about fiber because, you know, I'm not going to be performing. So if I have, you know, a little bit of GI, you know, upset, it's not the end of the world. Um, and I want to just be able to enjoy and not think about it. I think that's so important. And that it does, you know, typically lead people to, you know, feeling like they can get back into a process again, because they're going to, you know, gravitate back towards what feels best. Um, and I mean, even after Boston, like for me this year, I was like, I'm a dietitian, I do this all day. But I was like, I can't wait to not care about what I'm eating, because I'm just sick of like having to think about it <laughs> all the time. Yeah, and if you're getting sick of it, then imagine the rest of us who, who aren't enmeshed in it all the time. Exactly. Now, I was going to wrap at this point, Holly, but I just thought of a kind of offbeat question that I wanted to get your thoughts on. It is becoming easier and easier for people to test their own blood sugar. Do you see any utility in regularly testing your blood sugar, either right after a run, right before a run, uh, your fasting blood sugar in the morning before you have any breakfast? Is there any utility for runners in that practice? And, and if so, how should we best think about that strategy to improve our performances? Yeah, you're talking about like continuous glucose monitor type stuff. Even uh, not necessarily continuous, although that's certainly an option. And I've seen a lot of people... Uh, get that, you know, kind of attached and, and they can have that continuous reading. They know at all times what their blood sugar is, but you can even test it, you know, via a little drop of blood, or I think there's some less invasive ways of doing so these days. Um, so are there pros and cons to either approach? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think for a lot of the, a lot of people that I talk to, like who are maybe interested in that, like I don't know. I tend to find, and I used to work in diabetes education, so I'm very familiar with like blood sugar readings and what to expect and what, you know, is helpful um, and how people can respond in terms of how their body responds to like carbohydrates and stuff. But I think a lot of people can become super like obsessive with it. It's like another data point that they have to think about, um, you know, kind of like even weighing yourself or, you know, something that's just like very measurable. So I think it's very easy for someone who's data driven to become data disordered <laughs> with it um, and almost get nervous about how every single thing that they eat or do is affecting their blood sugar. 
when they weren't thinking about it before. So I, I tend to steer people away from it because I think there's other foundational things that we could work on before needing to do something like that. Um, I think if you're someone who, you know, maybe you do seem to have a lot of symptoms like related to blood sugar, like maybe you have energy crashes throughout the day, even though you feel like you're eating really balanced meals. Um, maybe you carb loaded or, you know, you started to increase your carbohydrate intake, but you're feeling really lethargic and you're not performing well. Um, and you're not getting all these benefits we always talk about, then maybe I would say it might be helpful for you to do that in conjunction with working with like a sports dietitian in particular, who can help you psychologically with it and tell you what's normal versus what's not. Because I think the message is a lot of people think their blood sugar is supposed to be, you know, pretty stable throughout the whole day, but we are going to have some peaks and valleys and that can be totally normal and healthy. Um, so it's kind of like my two cents on that is I tend to not, I tend to steer people away from them um, unless there, you know, is a more specific individualized circumstance, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend someone just like do it on their own. I'd say work with your doctor or a sports dietitian to help you monitor it. I might steal the term disordered data that that data is disordered. fascinating to me yeah and, and i, I should trademark with, it <laughs> <laughs> i think with so many runners being type a they love to track almost everything when it comes to their training you know we're obsessed with strava and there's a real opportunity to start obsessing about yet another data point sort of like your steps and we're going to do the equivalent of like walking laps around our kitchen at 11 o'clock at night so that we can get up to 10,000 steps a night or a day when that that might really not be very helpful for us. So I appreciate your thoughts on that. Uh, Holly, is there anything I missed when it comes to fueling for a marathon pre-race, the morning of, during the race, afterwards? There's so many considerations. Uh, There's so many different types of marathons. I wonder if that is maybe a consideration, but anything that I didn't cover? I think we covered it pretty extensively. I think if someone's like listening to this and maybe like, whoa, that's a lot of information, like literally write down like your carb load plan, like week of your race, and then write like what you're going to eat the morning of and then what you're going to do during like down to the hour or the mile or whatever's helpful for you, including all of the things you practice in training um, and then what you want to do post race. And if you're doing this several months out from your race, then you can say, okay, I know what I need to figure out (laughs) uh, because I don't know what I'm doing for that and I need to start practicing Um, or I need to keep practicing these things because I think I want to use them, you know, for my race. Um, So that would be how I would like put this into like something implementable. Um, And then the other thing I just thought of, because you had said um, taking like a caffeinated gel towards the end of the race, that's another thing that I talk a lot about. Um, about a lot with my clients and runners. Once we are, you know, doing all the other things we talked about, then we can talk about fancy things like ergogenic aids, like beetroot powder and caffeine and like some of these other performance boosters. If you're doing them on their own without working on everything else, like it's not going to do much without a good foundation. But with caffeine, my two cents is typically caffeine peaks in the bloodstream about 45 to 60 minutes after you take it. So timing wise, you might want to think about taking a caffeinated gel about an hour or so before you want it to really work. Um, So for Boston, for example, I think I took one around the halfway point because I wanted to have it working with me through the Newton Hills, but then also after (laughs) the Newton Hills. Um, So that's just something to consider too, since I know a lot of our products now have caffeine in them. If you feel like taking caffeine gives you GI distress, then don't take it. That's my my other tip. (laughs) 
Yeah, caffeine is is a big one and something that I really got into uh, late in my college years. I remember drinking cold, black, double-brewed coffee before races. And my friends thought I was crazy and I might have been acting crazy because other than <laughs> that, I like had no caffeine whatsoever. So I was a, a real treasure to be around uh, pre-race. But if you're not super caffeine adapted, you'll feel like a bull ready to like charge through a wall after a bunch of coffee beforehand. And as long as your GI, you know, symptoms don't get, uh, you know, you're, you're able to keep running, then it can be an amazing performance enhancer, um, that kind of ergogenic aid. Well, Holly, thank you so much for spending time with us today, your expertise. Uh, you are just a wealth of information. And I know that our listeners are going to want to learn from you. Where th- can they find you on the internet? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, people can find me on, I'm ma- mainly active on Instagram. Um, it's My handle is Fit Cookie Nutrition. Um, I had a cookie catering company in college. Now I'm a dietitian, so I combine them. People always ask me about the name, but um, it's Fit Cookie Nutrition on Instagram or just my website is fitcookienutrition.com. And I also have a podcast where I dive into a lot of these topics by myself or bring other experts on, um, which is the Fit Cookie Nutrition podcast. And if Fit Cookie Nutrition is too hard to remember, I'll have links to all of this in the show notes on strength running. Holly, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening in, my friends. If you found value in this episode, I would so appreciate a review in Apple Music or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you love this podcast, please consider supporting our sponsors who help make it possible. Inside Tracker is a company that I've been working with for years, and I hope to continue for years to come. They're one of the most reputable personal blood testing companies that you can find. Their goal is to help you analyze your body's biomarkers, things like stress hormones, testosterone, vitamin D, sex hormones, mineral levels, and more. And using your personal data, they create optimal ranges for each of these biomarkers. So if you're outside of what your optimal zone should be, They have an ultra-personalized nutrition platform that gives you science-backed suggestions for moving that biomarker back into the preferred zone. This helps you avoid any health problems, it optimizes your training, improves your performances, and reduces your injury risk. I've personally gotten three of their ultimate tests, and the process is very easy, it's simple, and it can be very eye-opening, especially if you haven't gotten one of these tests before. And if you're worried about going inside a lab, they also have at-home testing, which only takes about 15 minutes. They'll come to you. Go to insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning to see how you can get 25% off site-wide on any personalized blood test that they offer. Of all the purchases you can make with your running, this one can actually improve your performances. It's a wonderful opportunity, and all those details can be seen at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning. We're also supported by the Revel Race Series. Revel is an incredibly fast and remarkably beautiful series of marathons and half marathons that take place in some of the most scenic places across the country. All the races feature a very fast downhill course and spectacular scenery since you're running usually in a canyon, but definitely down a mountain. Their next race takes runners from the canyons of the Wasatch Mountains to the foothills of Salt Lake City, Utah on September 10th for the 10-year anniversary of Revel Big Cottonwood. Featuring a speedy downhill course and amazing mountain views, this race will be sure to help you set your PR and potentially hit that Boston qualifying time, as it is the fastest marathon and half marathon in the state of Utah. 
In fact, it has more than 5,200 feet of elevation loss that can help repel you to a shiny new PR. Revel in speed, revel in beauty, revel in big cottonwood. Register at runrevel.com with code STRENGTH for $10 off. And don't wait, there's a price increase on July 13th, so I hope you take advantage of that and the benefits of running with gravity. That's runrevel.com and use code STRENGTH for $10 off. That's our show today, my friends. Thanks for being here. And if you ever have a question for me, don't hesitate to reach out. You can reach me at support at strengthrunning.com. Until next time.